following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Welcome to the show, episode 813 of I Doubt It Podcast. I am your host, Jesse Dollimore, joined today by your host, the lovely, talented, and scholarly, Brittany Page, everybody. Well, you are really going through it with the insane technical difficulties that we're having. Do you want to talk about it? Not really. <laughs> um. Luckily, we have an extra PC... Well, and even it is giving me problems, but none of the programs that I use to do the show in the highly professional and well-produced manner <laughs> are on that machine. Uh-huh. And some of these programs are, I know it sounds weird, but they're ones that my little brother like put together for me. Mm-hmm. Like I, there's been times where I've told you that if like if I died... No one would know which folders things were in or where to go. Mm-hmm. And all of the things that I'm talking about are on the other machine. Yeah. Which won't even show up on any monitors that we have. It turns on and everything's great. Yeah. And it just, and it worked. It was on and I went down the next morning mm-hmm. and it was blank monitors as though they were asleep. And anyway, it's a goddamn nightmare. Mm-hmm. And um, and then we can't get anyone in to take a look at it until Monday. Yeah. So you have had to find some sort of workaround to be able to do the special program thing that your brother created for you. Yeah. So hopefully that works. Hopefully that works. I guess we won't know in until fact, after now, we're done recording. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Like all of the imagery for the website, like the the th- the thumbnail thing for the with the number of the oh, episode, right. I, all of that. We're fucked now. I have no idea how to where. I mean, that's all on the other machine. I'm gonna have to like create it from scratch or right figure something out. Yeah. Anyway, how is your Saturday? <laughs> well, I'm just as stressed out as you are about all of this. So, um, in my mind, I'm like. Preparing for anarchy in the audience. No, listen, it's people are here for the dulcet tones of my baritone <laughs> and not for the fucking thumbnails of the website. I hope. Yeah. <laughs> Although, invariably, we will get an email really unprofessional of you guys not to have the. Blah, 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 blah. I'm sure that we will. But hopefully we won't. Not from you, yeah. dear listener, yeah. but the other guy. Right. He's going to be the idea guy who actually you should have. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Sweepy. Sweepy's worried about your health now. Uh, it's unfortunate that neither of us are. Smart people. Uh, that's one way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> that's one way to put it. Uh, knowledgeable about computers specifically, I think, uh, yeah. is a very important tool to have. And neither of us are strong in that area, unfortunately. Every time something like this happens, 
I remember a moment decades ago mm-hmm. when I told my little, my younger brother, my youngest brother, who is like a certified giant brained freak show knowledgeable about just about everything. I mean, without Zachary, we wouldn't have been able to start the podcast as well as we did. Mm-hmm. And, and he also so ha- just so happens to disagree with everything that you believe and do. Yeah, so it's maybe hard. he regrets it it's a little It's really bit. hard to... Well, he said one time, I don't really want to be helping with this because you're going to end up being internet famous and <laughs> I don't want any part of that because you... You embodied the beliefs that are in, in, in the antithesis of what I believe, or yeah. something like that. Yeah. And uh, someone was right. So anyway, so well, what I was not right about, I know you were saying he was right, but I was not right about decades ago when I told him, "I've forgotten more about computers than you'll ever know." Because <laughs> I was, he wow. was like, I had just gotten out of the Marine Corps. He's twelve years younger. He's like ten years old. Uh huh. And this, we're still running on like maybe th- Windows three one one. Maybe, in fact, maybe I was still in the Marine Corps. Yeah, and I was on leave or something. So he maybe he was eight years old. Yeah, and this is a kid who like skipped junior high. Mm-hmm. He he was the valedictorian of his class. Having he went from sixth grade to high school. An impressive person. Yeah, super yeah. smart guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, boy, did that bite me in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if only you could remember some of that stuff, because that could uh, really come in handy right now to it's help a you bummer. fix the computers. It is a bummer being the dumb brother. There's three of us, and I'm the, I'm the moron of the group. So, yeah, not not great. But in in these moments, it does really make me appreciate people who have a developed skill set in the magic <laughs> of personal computers, because it's uh. It's something to be admired. It's, it's awesome. Or any skill set, for that matter. Yeah. I Again, there's part of me that's like, oh, I should have paid attention better. But things change so much with technology and computers that whatever I learned <laughs> back in school is irrelevant now. I remember even when I was taking Java programming, I had to take oh, at one yeah. point. And that, I remember this. That was, uh, that was terrible. It was a terrible, terrible situation. One of the few classes that you, like, cried with frustration over. Yeah, it was terrible. I mean, you have to learn a completely different language. It's all in code. I mean, it was an absolute nightmare. What's strange about it is it's similar to, like, when you are learning statistics and you have to use programs that that help you process some of the, the data, like in graduate school, and... SPSS was a common one at the time. That's kind of falling out of favor, and our studio yeah, is becoming familiar to me. more prominent. And that is coding. And I remember really enjoying that in grad school. I'm not sure why. I think it was because my professor was an absolute genius. She was like so impressive that when she would talk, I was like, "Wow, I." want to be her inspiring <laughs> yeah and yeah. I and I thought I'm gonna put in the time to really be like her she's she's amazing so maybe it just depended on having a really good professor I guess like most things do like most things yeah so anyway everybody here we are good times had by most <laughs> not not by us today <laughs> not by us. hopefully by you 
Yeah, so uh, we're going to get through this as we do most things, and uh, we appreciate your patience as always, um, and we're going to quit beating the dead horse about what bad luck we have with computers. <laughs> anyway, let's get to some listener communication. Before we do, I want to drop the number and, and invite you to communicate with the show, talk to us, ask us questions, tell us what's on your mind, 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo or a regular old-fashioned email to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Hey, Jesse and Brittany, this is Gilly in Colorado. Uh, I'm the one that used to say them pronouns, not that there are many other Gillies. Um, just listening to the latest episode, I think 8-12, and uh, talking abortion rights, um, and there was a comment that was made that was pharmacists are denying pain medication for people getting IUDs. And I was hoping that you could source that a little bit better because I'm curious uh, what pain medication is being prescribed because typically you don't get pain medication for an IUD. You get ibuprofen. Um, but sometimes they will prescribe you misoprostol uh, to take ahead of time to help open up your cervix if you had a particularly difficult insertion and they weren't able to do it again and you still want to try. And misoprostol is the second dose of the abortion medication, methocristone being the first dose. And I'm wondering if that's what is being denied um, or if there's a different pain medication that I'm not aware of because um, most providers won't do that. Um, but misoprostol is pretty common at this point. Um, thanks. Uh, love you guys. Uh, appreciate you. I look forward to hearing what your response is. Adios. Everything Gilly said is correct, and we love when these moments happen. It was an offhanded comment that I made it kind of um, as soon as I said it. I was like, okay, that was kind of a simplistic way of phrasing it. Let's get into the story, though. So this is from uh, NOLA.com. Yeah, local uh, Louisiana outlet. Yeah. And, uh, local New Orleans out- outlet. Yeah, and according to the reporting, uh, Walgreens called the physician Dr. Alexandra Weiss-Band to ask if the prescription, which Gilly properly referenced, uh, Cytotec, the, uh, the, which is the brand name for misoprostol, the second part of the two drug cocktail that's used in uh, medication abortions, but this doctor did prescribe it to make the insertion of the IUD less painful. So I don't know what the mechanism is there. However, in this reporting, it is referenced as though it has some sort of effect in making it less painful when you do the IUD insertion. I mean, so technically, and I'm not, there's no cover your ass here. Um, we love being corrected and, and, and challenged when we say things that are not on spot on. But technically, if it is reducing pain, it, it is going to be a, not a painkiller, but a, a, an avoider of pain. So it, it does, it's pain relevant, right? <laughs> pain I, pain relevant. It, it's pain adjacent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and I think that's my point is that the, the pharmacist called the physician and said, is this for an abortion? And the doctor said, no, this is for an IUD insertion to make it less painful. And they still refused to fill a prescription medication anyway. Which means because of the doctor's whatever the fuck deeply held beliefs about whatever, mm-hmm. even contraception is now on the table to be banned. Right. But Gilly makes an important point, and this conversation has been happening on, on Twitter in recent months, 
that for an IUD insertion, which is described by many people as extremely painful, there is not pain medication given. There are no efforts to alleviate that pain. Insane to me. To prevent that pain, women, people are expected to just take that pain and accept it and handle it. And that seems to be pretty uh, unacceptable. Yeah, I don't... uh... It is one of those deals where we, that if 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 men were getting IUDs or something similar, mm-hmm. there would be a panoply of drugs administered so that their little feelings wouldn't be disrupted. Because mm-hmm. like when I got my vasectomy, all kinds of stuff was on the table. That what I mean, not literally on the table, like a coke party of the seventies. The doctor opened up his jacket side to side. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> what do you want? But I mean, it was like we can give you this, we can give you this, we can if you get driven to the appointment, we can we can have you take this before you come in. Like, uh, and all they got to do is numb your balls. They put a little needle in there. We had. We talked about YouTube or something the whole time. <laughs> my nutsack was opened up and he was snipping away. All right. I no. mean, there was the, the 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 smell of burning ball flesh. Okay. But the point is uh-huh. that there were all kinds of options pain related for me, all of which were unnecessary. Yeah. But because it's a a traditionally female procedure, mm-hmm. it's not. Oh yeah, they're fine. <laughs> They're tough. Yeah. So thank you, Gilly, because that that is an important point. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to explain myself. (laughs) Explain yourself. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely, Gilly. We appreciate it very much. All right. Moving on. Hey, Jesse Delamore. (laughs) Jesse Brittany. This is David J. from uh, Kentucky. Actually, I'm going to stop it. (laughs) I didn't even, I hadn't listened to this yet. Yeah. And the reason I hadn't listened is because a lot of we get a lot of calls for YouTube on on the the podcast number, mm-hmm. and if you call on the podcast line and you say, "Hey Jesse," and mm-hmm. I don't see because the Google tr- uh, transcripts the call, right? And I just I looked over this one because it said, "Hey Jesse Dollamore," mm-hmm. and well, that's not for the podcast. I'm not even going to look at that. Uh-huh. And <laughs> you now are taking over that that role too. Uh huh. Because apparently I'm just a delicate little snowflake who can't who has too many things to do. Yeah, and I overlooked this because of that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I think more people should address me as Jesse Dollamore. <laughs> I like the formality mm-hmm. of that. All right, back to David J. Hey Jesse Dollamore, <laughs> Jesse Brittany. This is David J. from uh, Kentucky. You guys were talking about the gun control portion, about how it may be, you know, acceptable to be a bit aggressive on it, because in the time of war, you know, the government, the union, military would provide citizens with the weaponry to defend against some kind of seceding force or whatever you want to call it. And that thought works if you believe you're going to be on the union or government side. I think it's kind of, you know, hopeful to assume that we will always be the ones in the union and it'll be Texas or some conservative, you know, fuck-alls trying to secede. But it wasn't, you know, the Proud Boys or whatever who killed David McGaddy here in Louisville. It was the National Guard. It wasn't Proud Boys who are, you know, known 
to have killed plenty of people day by day uh, just and have pure immunity, it is law enforcement, which is government. So I think it's a little bit too optimistic to say it'll be okay because as long as we, as long as like we have control, I guess control of the government, we will be able to get weapons back and fight. I mean, if you think about Black Panthers, they fought specifically and threatened specifically against law enforcement for their own rights. Uh, and just lastly, the Roman Mars Teaches About Con Law had an episode about the Second Amendment and how the NRA kind of took the concept of it being a militia and changed that to individual individual rights. And I think that was a really interesting uh, article, I guess, I mean, it's a podcast, to hear about how that all worked, and it was really cool. Anyway, love you guys. Thank you guys for bringing these topics up. Uh, have a good day. So my issue with this is that it's the common trope that gets talked about, that if if you believe that your ownership of one or even 100 AR-15s is going to be a match against a well-armored and well-munitioned force, be it the National Guard or, you know, uh, uh, a company of United States Marines you're living in fucking fantasy land and i don't think that's you david i'm talking about these three percenters and these oath keepers and proud boys and people like that these militia groups so i don't i don't buy into the line of of logic i'm using that term super fucking loosely uh <laughs> that the, the 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 second amendment and you know, maybe it was intended at the time um as as a buttress against an an, um, an overreaching government, the tyranny of an organized government, but technology has outpaced the Second Amendment to a degree that our founding fathers probably never could conceive of. I mean, we have fighter jets that travel in space and shit. It's not it's not it's not uh, bombers that that travel in space and shit. It's not it's no longer um, a musket. You know, that every, if you're proficient, every 20 to 30 seconds, you're able to pop off around. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's a whole different uh, situation. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, all these things are at play, and it's it's a lot of messy bullshit. Um, not an easy conversation to have, certainly. We appreciate the call very much, David. Very much, Gilly. You guys are the best. As all of the audience, if we, if you would like to sound off, you have an idea, if you want to continue this conversation, we welcome you to 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. I Doubt It is a listener-supported podcast. Support comes from our most loyal, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners just like you via Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as $2 a month would help keep the conversation moving forward one podcast at a time. If you have a few dollars to spare each month, we invite you to help produce the show by joining the Patreon family. Please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast. We have two new Patreon supporters. We would like to thank William P. William P. And Michael. Michael. Thank you so very much for your support on Patreon. Thank you to our new supporters, our existing supporters, everyone who listens to the show, shares the show, follows us on social media, at Dollamore, at Brittany E. Page. 
I don't normally say my name like that. I do it so that you know how it's spelled, hopefully, in the pronunciation. <laughs> I promise I don't demand that people say it that Brittany. way. <laughs> At I Doubt It Podcast on Twitter. We have the Facebook page where we share links and people have discussions, not always fruitful, but I have noticed there have been fewer trolls over there and we don't really ban people. So that's nice. We're being harassed less. Maybe they're enjoying their summer right now. (laughs) They're outside participating in some sort of recreational activities. Yeah, you are a positive Polly right now. Getting some exercise. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) Or maybe they're just, they're storing up all the vitriol to spill out all at once. Great. (laughs) Great indeed. Shows where our heads are at right now. Anyway, we love you guys. We appreciate you very much. Thanks for all of your support, whether it be um, listening, sharing podcasts, telling a friend about it, rating and reviewing, or of course, giving of your treasure. It means the world to us. This show would not be Um, I was going to say what it is, but it wouldn't be anything without the audience. So um, know that we love and appreciate you very much. All right. Moving on. Stalemocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So we had the most recent January 6th committee hearing. And I don't know about you, uh, Jesse. I feel like these are certainly not repetitive because they are exploring different things. Yeah. But I'm kind of getting to the point where I'm wondering when is this actually going to produce some sort of result? Like when is the necessary result going to happen? Because we keep hearing how bad things were and seemingly getting worse because now we're learning that Donald Trump actually tried to call a White House uh, support staffer who was speaking with the January 6th committee. Like that's how this committee hearing ended was Liz Cheney saying that Donald Trump had called someone that they had talked to, someone that reporters are now saying could corroborate what Cassidy Hutchison testified to. Yeah, so I'm... You were throwing me to talk, right? Yeah, so I'm I'm in the same boat. I don't know. I, I think that a lot of Americans expect to be, there to be prosecu- prosecutions that come to bear as a direct result of Congress, as though Congress has some prosecutorial power, and they don't. What this is is an investigation for legislative purposes so that they can know how to better serve America and the Congress and the Capitol building itself through legislating or appropriating funds for better security just to get to the bottom of it. Now, I maybe this is optimistic of me, but I believe there will be a criminal referral, a a report that is that is that is written and and transferred to the Justice Department for the Justice Department to do something, but we're running out of time on that end. Merrick Garland isn't going to be there forever. Biden's almost halfway through the term, and if they're going to start an actual um, grand jury hearing evidence and indictments and then getting this to federal court, who knows what's going to happen in the interim? Mm-hmm. So they need to get on it. So. From the perspective of what's going to happen, or however you phrase the question, um, 
I'm dismayed by the inaction of Merrick Garland. The 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 lack of the absence of swift action on the part of Merrick Garland. Something's happening. They do have a grand jury, but, but they're not like this whole witness tampering thing. Where's that going? This is important enough that they need to let us know in some terms that they're on it rather than you just got to trust us. It's all secret. You have to trust us. Well, and that's, I think, the motivation behind my question, because like I said, Liz Cheney ended this most recent January 6th committee hearing by saying that Donald Trump tried to call this White House support staffer that was speaking with the January 6th panel and they have referred that to the DOJ. Right. And so here you have Donald Trump attempting to contact someone who's giving testimony to the January 6th committee. Right, and it's not like, from what I'm hearing, the the rumblings, the gurglings, it's not like Colin, Tony Ornato, who was the deputy White House chief of staff, or Mark Meadows. It's like a lower level, someone the president of the United States would not be getting on the horn with. Right. Our new developments this morning in the investigation into the January 6th insurrection and a case of possible witness tampering. NBC News has learned that former President Trump tried to call a member of the White House support staff who was talking to the House committee that is investigating the Capitol insurrection. That's according to a source familiar with the issue. On Tuesday, committee vice chair Liz Cheney revealed that the committee had information that the former president had tried to contact a witness involved in the investigation, but she did not identify who that witness was. After our last hearing, President Trump tried to call a witness in our investigation, a witness you have not yet seen in these hearings. That person declined to answer or respond to President Trump's call and instead alerted their lawyer to the call. Their lawyer alerted us. And this committee has supplied that information to the Department of Justice. For more, let's bring in NBC News reporter Julie Serkin. Julie, good morning to you. So what more can you tell us about this new reporting about who this witness might be and what would this witness be able to offer to the committee about the call? Yeah, good morning, Joe. Well, look, this person, like you said, is somebody who was in close support staff to former President Trump. But the members on the panel are hesitant to reveal his name, even privately, because of security concerns. And I should say his or her name. We don't know the identity of this witness, but there is concern because of this call from former President Trump uh, after they spoke to this person that it could be of some concern if his name or her name is revealed to the public. I want you to take a listen to something Chairman Benny Thompson told reporters when asked if we're going to hear from this person at all. Excuse me. Watch. Are we going to hear from this witness? Uh... I would doubt it. You know, we, we're concerned, obviously, about the witness, and uh, we want to put that witness in uh, unnecessary jeopardy. Is it your opinion that there's enough evidence to say that there was an attempt to intimidate these witnesses? Well, from my vantage point, it's highly unusual uh, to do that, and that's why we more or less put that in the hands of the Justice Department. And this was just one missed phone call from the former president? That's all that I'm aware of. 
Reminder, Joe, this person is someone they spoke to after Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony, perhaps somebody that could corroborate what she told the panel and told the public. Uh, But for former President Trump's part, his uh, spokesperson, Taylor Budowich, responded, saying that Vice Chair Liz Cheney, quote, continues to traffic in innuendos and lies that go unchallenged. So we'll see how this shakes out. Let's keep in mind that that's not a denial. Liz Cheney continues to traffic in innuendos and lies isn't... No, no, no. Donald Trump didn't call. <laughs> I mean, it, a denial is a denial. Yeah. Besmirching the character of one of the, 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 the chair on the committee mm-hmm. is something completely different. <laughs> so apparently there's going to be a finale to the January 6th committee dun, hearings, dun, dun. which is going to be Thursday, July 21st. But according to reporting from Hugo Lowell, the Guardian congressional reporter. Go ahead. I'm, I heard that it's going to go into August. Yeah, they're now saying that they're considering a second series of yeah. hearings sometime beginning uh, toward the end of August. Yeah, that's. I'm glad that that was just rambling around in my head. Yeah, you have it right. So apparently the... Maybe because I follow Hugo Lowell on Twitter and saw that. That could be it. <laughs> <laughs> apparently this committee hearing on Thursday, January 21st is going to focus on Trump's actions or lack thereof, while the violence was unfolding at the Capitol, which I'm very interested in, and, and this is this is one of the the facets of how they're how they're producing, if you will, forgive the term, what they're doing, because they're they are every hearing is something unique. Now they do replay Bill Barr saying over and over and over that he he told the president that his election claims were bullshit and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. Hey, there have been a few times where you hear the same quotes over and over. But the content is different. Mm-hmm. They're focusing on the speech at the ellipse and the weapons and the extremist groups and the timeline. And uh, when they go into what Donald Trump was doing in his dark White House up there uh, just watching TV, gleeful and giddy about what was taking place with no action. I mean, they're going to be able to to refute his constant lies about how I was the one who wanted the the National Guard there when he made no such effort at all. In fact, if anybody from the White House did, it was Mike Pence who was in fear for his fucking neck. Right. He was the one wanting the the, the National Guard dispatched. Right. They're building a narrative, which is an effective way to illustrate what happened to the American public. And now we're learning that the Secret Service apparently erased text messages uh, on and around the time of the insurrection. Yeah, from the, the, the 5th of January and the 6th of January, text messages were deleted. It's also reporting that we have tonight regarding the Secret Service that I find incredibly uh, kind of impossible to understand. There's word of deleted text messages from on and around January 6th. What, can you explain what you know about this? Yeah, and uh, what's interesting about this, Anderson, and uh, Jamie Gangel, Zachary Cohen, and I were able to put this story together. This is comes from a letter that was sent to the uh, to the department, or I should say, the committees uh, dealing with Homeland Security in both the House and Senate from the Inspector General of the Department of Homeland Security. Department of Homeland Security is a subsidiary, or the Secret Service is a subsidiary of the Department of Homeland Security. And what the IG is saying is that they had asked the Secret Service to not only preserve but hand over text 
text messages from agents on both January 5th and January 6th. And according to the IG, after that request was made, that the Secret Service went, underwent what they said was a device replacement program. And over the course of that replacement program, all of these text messages were deleted. Now, the committee finds that to be a problem. The Homeland Security Committee, of which Benny Thompson is the chairman of, in addition to being the January 6th committee chairman, we have a statement tonight from Gary Peters, who is the Senate chairman of the Homeland Security Committee, who's also concerned about it. A Secret Service has pushed back on it a little bit. They have said not completely or on the record that the IG's perception of this is not 100% right, but they have yet to back up their claims as to why. The issue, though, here, Anderson, is that this is information that these committees have been looking for for more than a year and a half. They're just now finding out that this information doesn't exist. That is a big problem among many other problems associated with this, and it just makes trying to figure out the information that these committees, these various different organizations that are investigating what happened here on January 6th, it just makes that job that more difficult. Well, I mean, yeah, it raises all sorts of questions about the credibility of the Secret Service, which is, you know, uh, stunning. I mean, I, I, I don't understand on such a cons- consequential day in history how, how anybody in the Secret Service or anywhere in a national security establishment thinks it's a good idea to delete the text messages detailing what was going on in the inner circle of the White House that day. I, I, that boggles the mind, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it does. And and Secret Service, you know, they have, you know, begun the process of reaching out to the media to respond to this letter. You know, we are told that it came as a surprise to them, that they did not expect to see it. Uh, and they they do believe that they have an explanation for exactly what you're talking about, Anderson. We have not been given that explanation yet, uh, but they, they, they say that there's an easy way to uh, allow us to understand exactly what happened here. So we should give them the benefit of the doubt. They haven't had the chance to completely respond to this. But you're right. And, and you know, in, in total, there's been a lot of questions about the Secret Service, the role they played uh, in terms of what happened on January 6th with the former president and the former vice president. Uh, and so all of these things are questions that the committee has that they want answers to. And again, when you don't have all the information, it makes it that much harder to paint the entire picture that they want to paint for the American people. Yeah, Ryan Nobles, really appreciate your reporting as always. Thank you. So let's let's talk talk well that's a dumb fuck thing to say. Let's talk about this on the podcast. We're talking about things. Let's continue to talk about things. Well, Jesse, if we can just reinforce that we should be giving them the benefit of the doubt. I mean, what could this really mean? It could there's all kinds of things. There's all kinds of reasons. Yeah, let's give listen, them the benefit of the doubt. Let's, okay. As I say, I often say, let's let's get on the ground with this. Let's think about this. This was a device replacement program. And all of the text messages from January 6th, the attempted overthrowing of the United States government, it was a failed coup. To call it an historic event is not to do it justice. And just so happens that not only were the text messages because of course they were important, of course they were critical to this what would be an investigation, not only were they not preserved, like, oh, shit, this is important. We need to offload these and preserve these for posterity's sake, for, for the investigation's sake, for history's sake. They got deleted. Inadvertently, as I break my fingers with air quotes. <laughs> Think about this. How many times have you gotten a new cell phone? in the audience. I mean, how many times? Seven times? 
10 times? And of those, how many times did you lose all of your text messages from only two days? That doesn't happen. Occasionally, if there's something that, if you go from one phone to the next, you'll lose everything. But not every phone from all of these secret services, not every, this just didn't happen. The secret service is problematic in a way that I think we need to really wrap our brains around. Mm -hmm. Because they are now entrusted with the safety and security of the sitting president of the United States of America and his family, and they're deleting evidence, critical evidence, on the day of an attempted overthrow of the government. Well, and this goes to a larger conversation about police generally, but also the Capitol Police, and we recently saw AOC was harassed on the steps of the Capitol right in front of a Capitol Police officer. And I had I, to log off Twitter. And when I say harassed, I mean he was making racist and sexual comments in a loud, aggressive... Right in front of Capitol Police officers. He wasn't, and this is AOC's point, he wasn't a political protester. There was no policy disagreement that he had. He was talking about her, quote, big juicy ass. Big juicy Latina booty and shit. Yeah, just completely inappropriate and something that she should be protected from when there's a Capitol Police officer standing there. At least to get him off of the steps of the Capitol leading up to the, the House chamber. Right. But as she said, there were Capitol Police officers that were implicated during the insurrection for having protesters come through the gates and participating in a way that was concerning and not stopping what was going on. So how many Secret Service agents are Trump supporters, believe the election was stolen? How many Capitol Police officers supported what some of the insurrectionists were doing? It's very scary to think about. We are dealing with people in positions of power in various police organizations that are likely involved in nefarious things. And this, I think, is an example of that. What do they have to hide? And then we have reporters saying, Anderson Cooper said, it's impossible to understand. Yeah. (laughs) And Ryan Noble said that we should be giving the benefit of the doubt, of course, because they haven't had a chance to respond. Uh, No, we should not. See, listen... I this is how I interpret Anderson Cooper's uh, uh, what he doesn't know how to speak or talk about it because he has to be increasing the entertainment value maybe no no he has to like maintain some level of objectivity as a journalist uh. when how the fuck do you do that when it's such a clear cut case of nefarious intent here and then you couple this with the topic that's not on the board here which is on Thursday the House voted on an amendment in the Defense Authorization. Uh, bill for the Pentagon and an amendment got passed to uh, order the FBI and 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 federal law enforcement and the military to investigate extremism and white supremacy within its ranks and then deliver a report in a set amount of time on how to deal with it every single Republican in the House voted against identifying neo-Nazis in the military and federal law enforcement. Tell me again about how they're not setting themselves up for another insurrection, this time 
um, reinforced by these types who are integrated into our federal system. Yeah. Well, maybe you're turning my my head around on Anderson's comment. Maybe it was a little bit of therapeutic wonderment that he was using there, a tool. <laughs> well, no, I, I think it's he wants to appear objective. That's yeah. why he's just asking questions. Like, how is it that I, how could anybody, rather than just like, these motherfuckers are doing bad shit, <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's my job. Yeah, they're up to no good. <laughs> they're up to no good. So on the topic of police malfeasance, we have the Uvalde police footage that was leaked by two news outlets, the Austin American Statesman and KVUE. This was a controversial choice that spurred a debate within journalistic outlets in terms of whether or not this should have been published because it's the footage inside the school. Yeah. The- didn't they didn't they do something that's I think universally understood as responsible, which is to um, edit out the screams of children and shit. Yeah, they edited out the screams of children. They made certain choices to, for example, not blur the shooter's face when he comes into the yeah. school with his with his gun. And they did blur the face of a child who enters the hallway and, and sees him. But the point of this is really because there hasn't been a lot of transparency. And but there's been stonewalling, straight up... Um, attempting to to not allow the public to to know the truth here. And so by releasing this video, it is assisting with the investigation and helping the general public learn about what the police did wrong. To new questions and new anger after that chilling video was released from inside that school in Uvalde. The families who lost their children want answers. How this went on for 77 minutes, the images of officers retreating in that hallway. ABC's John Quinones tonight in Uvalde. Tonight in that Uvalde community, many parents have been demanding answers. Now their anger only growing after new video obtained by KVUE and the Austin American Statesman shows the 77 agonizing minutes from the time the gunman entered the school until law enforcement would finally take him down. Those organizations releasing the leaked video to provide transparency to the community. One of the responding officers was outside the classroom, armed with an assault rifle just three minutes into the massacre. Police retreating after coming under fire. Teacher Arnulfo Reyes says watching the video makes him sick. He was shot twice, trapped with his students inside that classroom as one child called out to police for help. I'm disgusted. He's just showing them running. Uh, I couldn't run. My kids couldn't run. You're standing outside the door and you run. That upsets me because we couldn't run anywhere. Reyes lost all 11 of his students. It's not until 48 minutes after the shooter entered the school after more shots are fired that officers finally move toward the classroom. But still, no rescue attempt. One officer even getting hand sanitizer. It would take another half hour for a team to breach the classroom to kill the gunman. Two teachers and 19 children would die. Off-duty Border Patrol agent Jacob Alborado raced to the school after his wife, a teacher, texted that there was an active shooter. 
He could hear the gunfire as he got his wife, daughter, and dozens of other children out of the classrooms. But after seeing the video, he hesitates to criticize fellow officers. I don't know what's going through through their head at the head at their time. But 77 minutes. Yeah. Man. Yeah. I mean, they held back. Yeah. He's shooting away inside that yeah. classroom. I can't tell you what those officers were thinking at the time. What would you have done? I would like to believe that I would have gone in there as, as quickly as possible. But like I said, there is protocol that you have to follow. And here in Uvalde tonight, where many parents continue to demand answers, some say these images are just too painful. It's like reliving that day all over again. And I'm sick of it. And John Quinones with us tonight from Uvalde. And John, I know these families are still waiting for the report from this investigation into the shooting, uh, likely to be released this coming weekend now. That's right. You know, the anger and, and, and the pain and the outrage, uh, David, I got to tell you, is incredibly palpable even tonight. And now the town is bracing itself for the results of that, uh, that investigation, which are expected to be released now within just a matter of days. Right. John Quinones tonight. John, we're glad you're back in Texas for us. Thank you. So I guess I'm really hung up on hearing people say things, attempting to give the benefit of the doubt to the police. Like, again, we're hearing this where in in the news package, he's saying after seeing the video, he hesitates to criticize the other officers and he doesn't know what they were thinking. I mean, that's something important to do because we know that they have a protocol to follow. We know that they did something wrong. Well, it's cops sticking up for cops. Yeah, the expectation is that you do your job. I mean, it would be like me as a therapist hearing about another therapist, for example, having sex with their client, which is something that you're absolutely not supposed to do. It's abusive and wrong, and you know that you're not supposed to do it. And it would be like me hearing about this and saying, oh, well, you know, I hesitate to really criticize because I don't really know what they were thinking. Who knows what they were thinking, what the excuse could be. No, you know what your job is and you know what you're not supposed to do and you're supposed to follow the protocol. And so if you do something that steps outside of that, it is worthy of criticism because we are about finding what went wrong and trying to work to make sure that it's not happening again. This is just an example of that gentleman that was being interviewed by John Quinones is presumably one of the good cops one of the good apples and he won't even criticize what is clearly negligent behavior damaging behavior dangerous behavior he won't even criticize it oh i don't i just don't know what was yeah i don't oh they're they're my brothers in blue i can't uh, what i don't who knows So what else is he turning his back on? What else is he not reporting? What else is he not calling out that is also clearly wrong, that good cop not even saying one bad word about these idiots, these bad cops who allowed all of these children to be murdered while they sat around and and made sure their hands were sanitized? Right. So we didn't watch that that video in full. I, I don't know that I would be able to. Yeah. I am grateful for the journalists who have taken the time to do that and have reported on what is in the video and what went wrong with the police response because we definitely need that. I think on the release of it, the question of the release and whether it's good or or bad, 
I don't think it's a uh, uh, an up or down, like, absolutely. But I do think, even though there are probably downsides, like Trump's sure some of the family doesn't like that it's out there. But I think the the need of the, the, the benefit of the public having this information outweighs the downsides. So much so that, really, it forced the hand of these journalistic outlets to, to release it. Yeah. Yeah. So let's now turn to a story that caused some controversy within the Republican circles. And it is the story that we talked about on previous episodes from the Indianapolis Star about the 10-year-old girl in Ohio who had to travel to Indiana to get an abortion after being impregnated as a result of a rape. Of course, we talked about how any pregnancy of a 10-year-old is a rape. Is a rape. Yeah. So what happened with this story is Republicans got wind of it and they started straight up saying it was a lie. Right. In a, in a coordinated campaign, like even the Wall Street Journal, I think the, the, the editorial board of the Wall Street Journal called it fanciful, the story. Yeah, they specifically had an article that said, an abortion story too good to confirm. Mm. And then they wrote, Biden told the tale of a 10-year-old rape victim that no one can identify. And then they later corrected this record, but didn't apologize when they learned that the story actually is true. Right. And this is kind of the pattern. You've had many Republicans come forward to call it a lie or some variation of that. And then once they learn that it actually was not a lie, they don't apologize and they try to wiggle their way around explaining how they came to be skeptical about the story. So let's talk first about Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost, who is one of these people saying that he has nothing to apologize for after going on Fox News with Jesse Waters on July 11th and saying that there hasn't been a whisper about the case. So he's casting doubt on whether or not this happened because there hasn't been a whisper. The chief law enforcement officer of the state in which this rape took place. And we should say this was his appearance on July 11th, and Columbus police said in court that they were referred the case from Franklin County Child Services on June 22nd. Right. Okay, so any of these people who actually care could have looked into this, but he chose not to, and instead to go on Fox News with Jesse Waters and cast it out on it. And then, after his appearance, he told the Columbus Dispatch that, quote, more likely that this is a fabrication. There is not a damn scintilla of evidence. Okay? Then you have... Still has a job. Republican Ohio Congressman... Jim Jordan, the top Republican on the U.S. House Judiciary Committee, he tweeted a retweet of the story, I believe it was a Washington Examiner link, and said, another lie, question mark, anyone surprised? Right. Straight up calling it a lie. Right. Well, I mean, really, in effect, calling the 10-year-old girl a liar. Absolutely. Yeah. And like I said, this was so popular on Fox News. Here's an example of a Fox News host on that show Outnumbered where there's like 10 people on the stage. Yeah. <laughs> and they decided to have a conversation about how, again, this didn't happen. ...sourcing was obtained and the single source said to the Washington Post, thank you for reaching out. I'm sorry, but I don't have any information to share. So just dark. Yeah. And that's against the backdrop of their code of ethics, which also includes we use confidential sources, sole sources as the sole basis for published information only as a last resort and under specific procedures that best serve the public's right to know. Well, that goes to what you were saying, where they have deemed that the public's right to know is folded in with their agenda. 
take it from me, because my wheelhouse was criminal law as an attorney. There's no shortage of 10-year-old rape victims. There's there's victims from infants through the elderly, both genders. There is more than you can count. There are so many monsters out there. So for me, what I find so deeply offensive is that they had to make up a fake one. There's actually so many. There are countless real ones that I would love for them to use as advocacy for law and order for actually commitment to prosecutions, to finding the perpetrator. But the fact that this alleged situation was created, um, and that was to serve the public's right to know to further their position on abortion Mm -hmm. by a sort of sensationalist physician now that has now gone dark with zero acknowledgement of the perp and the victim and so much more components of this that real people have dedicated their careers and their dramatic efforts to on a daily basis that they think we're that simple, that they've reduced us. Oh, you're going to eat this up. You're not going to ask any questions. And it's going to be really good for your talking point. And then it gets amplified. It's horrifying. Americans know better than that. We're smarter than that, and we are more honorable than Amen. that. Amen. And from inside the party, Amen, you might say, says. the Washington Post flags it as hockey puck. Yes. They <laughs> right? I mean, almost And Snopes. Snopes yeah. is a left-wing yeah. uh, fact checker. They said they can't verify it. And look, I hope it's not true because the facts are so horrifying. We all hope it's not yeah. true. But, you know, my goodness. I hope it's not true. But I hope they tell us the truth. Yeah, they're calling it a single-source story that went viral around the world and made it into the president's talking points because they don't fact check themselves. A distur- disturbing video of a toddler throwing punches and swearing at police officers. You will not believe this and what it's revealing about the country. It's crazy time at the Fox News, everybody. A toddler throwing a fit and you won't believe what it reveals about the country. I had to leave that in. I'm sorry. Listen, notice if you didn't, if you're not in tune to the voices that you just heard, one was Harris Faulkner, Mm -hmm. the the Fox News anchor. Mm -hmm. Then two, two of the other voices that you heard with Emily Campagno, that you might not know who she is. She's the one talk she was the one talking for the most part, talking about how she's a lawyer and criminal, blah, blah, blah. But it was also, oh, Trump's former press secretary, Kaylee McEnany, and and uh, Kellyanne Conway was in there too. Yep. I'm just just to show you the White House to Fox News pipeline <laughs> is is alive and well. Listen, it, it is it is fascinating to me. Because this Emily Campagno went on Twitter after it was verified that this was a true story and started taking credit, said, I will never apologize because if it wasn't for me questioning this, it wouldn't have been investigated and we wouldn't have found out the truth. Mm. After she spent roughly two minutes in this one clip saying that it was a lie, Mm -hmm. using wiggle words like allegedly, but saying that it's a lie. Yeah. Just sinister. Yeah, well, and like I talked about with Jim Jordan, Manu Raju with CNN approached Jim Jordan to get his response since he deleted his tweet. Oh, right, that's right. We, you didn't mention that. He deleted the, the tweet. where the tweet. He, he called the 10-year-old a liar, effectively, got deleted. Right, here's his explanation. Today, no apology from a sitting Ohio congressman and a leader in the House Republican Party for getting the facts wrong on a flashpoint in this new post-row world. This week, a Columbus man was charged with raping and impregnating a 10-year-old girl. That girl then traveled to Indiana to seek an abortion because she could not get one in Ohio. President Biden, you might remember, highlighted that story in his White House remarks announcing new actions from the federal government, the administration, to try to protect abortion access. But some Republicans earlier this week denied the episode ever happened. Those Republicans included Congressman Jim Jordan, 
who called the allegation, quote, a lie. CNN's Mano Raju joins us now live from Capitol Hill. Mano, you had a chance to speak to the congressman earlier today. What did he say? Well, he claims that he was never questioning the girl's story. He said he was only reacting to a headline that he saw. This was uh, in reference to a story Fucking about liar. the Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost, who claimed that story claimed that he found no evidence to support this allegation that this 10-year-old girl from Ohio had to travel to Indiana to have this abortion. Jordan tweeted another lie, anyone surprised. Then he deleted that tweet. So I asked him about that and whether he would apologize to the family. Why'd you delete the tweet? Well, because we learned that this illegal alien did this heinous crime. Um, so we deleted the tweet. Would you apologize for the, to the girl and the family for suggesting never doubted, a lie? I never doubted the child. Uh, I, was, I was responding to a headline from, from, uh, from uh, your profession, the news profession, which happens all the time on, on Twitter. Um, doubted Joe Biden, which is usually a smart thing to do. So then I also asked him uh, whether or not uh, he, about whether this fact that this tweet came across as if he was, in fact, questioning the child's story. He said, no, not at all. I was just questioning Joe Biden. And then I asked him about the idea about whether a 10-year-old should be required under the law of his state to have this child carried to term if she is raped. He would not answer that specifically, saying this is up to the state legislatures. He would not express his preference on this issue. So not apologizing for the tweet, not apologizing to the family, not regretting the tweet, but just claiming it was misinterpreted about what he meant, saying he didn't mean to question the girl, but criticizing the uh, undocumented immigrant who was alleged to have perpetrated this heinous crime. Uh, Just to be clear, if the Republicans take control of the House, he would be the chairman of an incredibly powerful committee, the Judiciary Committee, which would have jurisdiction over some of these issues. His tweet called the allegation, quote, a lie. A lie. Two pretty straightforward words there. And his comments today is that we all misinterpreted that. (laughs) And the answer is yes. (laughs) He wants us to believe that his nonsense response to Mana Raju. I sometimes wish that reporters would just say to these people like, hey, bro, do you have brain fog? Yeah. Is this like a result of COVID? Because what you just said to me makes no sense. You know that, right? It makes no sense. You know that what you just said means nothing. I was just questioning a headline. What? What are you what are you fucking talking about, you goddamn moron? This guy's a leader in the Republican Party. Yeah. A leader. Yeah. He's not uh, a Marjorie Taylor Greene who who doesn't sit on a committee. If the Republicans take control of the House, that stupid fuck is going to be the chairman of the House of Representatives Judiciary uh, Committee. Mm-hmm. That's that's scary. This is Mr. Benghazi. This is the during the impeachment hearings. I mean, it's remarkable what passes for leadership and representation in the Republican Party. Absolutely. And this story doesn't stop there. It's not just that the girl was brutally raped and impregnated and had to flee to another state for an abortion and the Republicans called it a lie and then it was found to be true and then that's the end of the story. It goes on because now the Republican Party is targeting the doctor who performed the girl's abortion. Yeah, the Indiana AG is now saying that he is looking into the doctor for not reporting that she completed this abortion. So what's going on, Todd? 
Jesse, thanks for having me on, but I shouldn't be here, right? I mean, first of all, uh, this is an illegal immigration issue because likely of Biden's lawlessness at the border and everything going on down there. That's why Indiana, as a non-border state, has actually filed several independent lawsuits on that. Then we have the rape, and then we have this uh, abortion activist acting as a doctor with a history of failing to report. So we're gathering the information, we're gathering the evidence, as we speak, and we're going to fight this uh, to the end, uh, including looking at her licensure uh, if she failed to report. And in Indiana, it's a crime uh, for uh, to not report, to intentionally not report. So what? Com- so, so what they're doing here, by the way, just to, to put the cards on the table, is they want to get the headlines that they're outraged and they're going to look into... This is not going to go anywhere. There's no evidence for any of that. Because... The only the evidence that we do have is that she did report. She did act as a mandated reporter and did her job as a responsible professional, medical professional, the entire way through. Yeah, and NPR obtained a document that proves that the doctor in Indiana reported to state officials that she did perform an abortion last month on a 10-year-old rape victim. So there is evidence with this document. Yeah that the doctor reported this. So everything he's saying there is not true. He's not providing evidence for the questions about this doctor having a history of not reporting these things. He's the attorney general of the state of Indiana. He's not just some random talking head. Well, and that, Again, chief law enforcement of a state. Well, and that also is concerning because this doctor now, her name is out there. Yeah. And you have unhinged people that are hearing this story on Fox News that are now hearing her become the villain of this story and she could be targeted right. by, by people who are unhinged. So really it's a safety issue with him going on Jesse Waters' show and saying things that are not true. But you're also hearing the pivot toward illegal immigration. That's the first thing that he talked about. Of course. He brought up illegal immigration and then he says, and then we have the rape. For him, the number one issue that he wants to put out there for the Fox News audience... Is the dude was undocumented. Is the illegal immigration, he says. Yeah. And then we have the rape. Yeah, and what's going to happen here, we'll just predict it now, when it, when, when it is absolutely verified by multiple media outlets and it's just common knowledge that this doctor did indeed do her job and report the fact that she performed an abortion on a 10-year-old because of a rape... Fox News isn't going to follow up. They're not going to say, oh, remember all that hubaloo? Oh, remember all the problems that were? Yeah, well, uh, ended up, she did do her job. That's not going to be the narrative of the day. Right. They're not going to have the Indiana Attorney General back on to say, hey, what's the deal now that we found out she did report? What are you going to do? It, it'll be fucking radio silence. Right. And I want to read some numbers for from the Ohio Capitol Journal because I think the point of this is is that Republicans don't want the public to know what they have done yeah, and what is going to be the result of what they have done. So here's some numbers. In 2020, the most recent year for which statistics are available, 52 girls aged 14 and younger had abortions in Ohio. That's just in Ohio. Just in Ohio. And that's according to the State Department of Health. A review of just the city of Columbus's police logs since March 15th uncovered 59 reports of sexual assaults of girls 15 and younger that based on the information available could have resulted in pregnancy including at least one 10 year old and that's just of the ones that were reported so when you heard that 
that woman on Fox News talking about how common this is, right? She was talking about it. it's so common. You wouldn't even believe how common it is. Yeah, let's let's follow that line of, yeah. of thinking. It's so common. And now you have people who are 10 years old, 11 years old, 12 years old that are going to get pregnant as a result of abuse. And they're going to have to figure out how to travel outside of these states that have bans with no exception for rape or incest, like Ohio. Yeah. And hopefully have someone in their life who can do that, who has the funds to do that, who has the access to find the funds to do that, in order to prevent them from being stuck in that situation. Right. Being forced to have the child of their rapist. And so that's what all this was about, is let's make it about lies. Let's make it about inaccurate reporting rather than let's make it about how common this actually is and how many people are going to be forced to do this because of what the Republicans have done. Well, it's also interesting to me that she says it's so common, but this one, oh, we have all the reason to believe this didn't happen. If it's all that common, then why not just believe it by your own admission of, of how frequent it happens. Right. Fucking gross. Just, it is sinister. Right. Without a doubt. Yeah. Anyway, we'd love to know what you guys think about all of this. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can absolutely email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Taking care of biz. Everyone who's deciding to get vasectomies. So I guess... <laughs> Jesse D. I guess you are taking care of biz. <laughs> Good job. Uh, there's apparently been... <laughs> I didn't know. You can't... There's no way to summarize it in like I, a one name. I didn't even know... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know what the topic was. So. so was I excited enough when I announced that? Well, it was like fake excitement, which is funnier. <laughs> which was funnier. Okay, so... Everybody is decided to get some of the vasectomies. Yeah, so the... <laughs> the requests for vasectomies have skyrocketed since Roe v. Wade was overturned. By a lot, right? By a lot. And I don't like have nine hundred percent is the number I think you told me in one of the states. There or was one like of... one county that yeah. that was the case because I think they were having. I I can't remember the okay, numbers. Okay, don't okay. try to make me do All that. Right. So that was a while ago, but now this is expanding across the country. Listen, I'm so dedicated to this prospect. Had to get the joke in. Great. I'm so dedicated to vasectomies that I actually have a second vasectomy scheduled next week. <laughs> Well, it's so painless and easy that oh, you might yeah, as yeah. well, right? Well, I don't get to talk about YouTube or sports enough, so it's a, mm. it's a nice little respite to talk to a doctor Good. while he's got his knife on my balls. Good. Well, let's also talk about how the Biden administration now has federal r- rules that require abortions to be provided in medical emergencies in order to save the life of the mother, and this is even in states where there are um, near-total bans. Yeah, yeah. And, of course... Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton is suing the like Biden administration for this. requiring hospitals. It's not about changing state law. It's requiring hospitals to do something. Yes, which is a great move. And in conjunction with this, you have people that are now moving to just make individual decisions in their lives to ensure that the people around them are protected from being in a situation where they are stuck with a pregnancy that they don't want. 
Good morning. You know, we also spoke with a doctor who said the way he found out about the Supreme Court's decision that day is by the sheer number of phone calls coming into his clinic. He said they tripled their normal volume and the number of men signing up for the procedure tripled, too. I just want to get a feel for why you feel so confident that you're going to be happy with your vasectomy decision indefinitely. From his office near Tampa, urologist Doug Stein calls patients who are under 30 or do not have children to discuss whether they are 100% sure they want a vasectomy, a call he's now making more often. We generally see about 12% in our practice, men who are child-free. And then we generally see about 12% of men who are under the age of 30. But the number of both young and child-free nearly doubled. The two-doctor practice performs six vasectomies an hour most days. Some decisions not just made by men, but by families. 50% of our calls are from women. I just need you to print sign date. 27-year-old Thomas Figueroa says he and his girlfriend do not want children, so getting a vasectomy was always on his mind. I've always thought about this decision. Um, the Supreme Court did push me to finally do it. The procedure, which blocks sperm from entering semen, is outpatient and takes about 10 minutes with about a two-day recovery, as opposed to a female tubal ligation, which is riskier and much more invasive. For Figueroa, this is also about easing the burden on women who have had their constitutional right to abortion taken away, and for those who feel restrictions on birth control could come next. I feel for a lot of men, especially for myself, that this is a way where they're trying to protect their girlfriends are trying to protect their partners. They're trying to protect their future partners. In Houston, Jordan Castro's post about getting a vasectomy went viral. He did it last fall after Texas passed a law banning abortion after about six weeks of fertilization. Really try to put yourself in, uh, in a woman's shoes. I really think I should, I should uh, take that into account and just take a little bit more responsibility. And while vasectomies are reversible, not all reversals are successful. All right, very good. Do you have any pain? That's something Dr. Stein stresses to his growing number of patients. And do you see this as a trend that will continue or just kind of a spike? I think that maybe where the spike is over and we're tapering down a little bit, but I think we haven't tapered back down to pre-row overturn numbers. In fact, he says they are booked through August, and that's as far in advance as they've ever been booked before. Vlad? All right, Manny, thank you very much. Uh... <laughs> I left in the uh because a funny discussion occurred after this where everyone was laughing and very uncomfortable because in the news package, they they were in the room with one of the men getting a vasectomy, and he was up on his elbows laying down, and like, like on, face on, down? No, no, no. On his back. Oh, right. up on sitting his up, elbows. Talking about YouTube. Sitting up, looking down at the procedure while it was happening. Yeah, yeah. And that apparently made everyone uncomfortable huh. that he was watching what was happening and completely awake. They thought that he would be knocked we out. We watched something recently where the doctor said he performed his own vasectomy. <laughs> yes. Which, yeah. which is. And he, the reason, and they asked him like, well, "Well, why?" And he's like, "Well, it's so easy. That's why, because I, I can tell people this is how fucking easy it is, bro. I did my own." Yes. So this really, and it really is. Look, all jokes aside. Yeah. Because it's funny. You're getting your balls, and they, you know, they singe, and you smell burning flesh, and all of this stuff. Oh, uh, it's so funny. But it's so fucking easy. 
and their the recovery time was no problem. Like they, you know, it's not like you have to sit around for a week with a bag of peas on your balls. It's I, I iced my balls a little bit, but it was it was absolutely fine. No no pain meds. I went. I drove home. I drove there. I drove home. I took some ibuprofen. It was great. So I think that's the best way to sell people on this is <laughs> if you can and if you are interested, if you if you know that you don't want kids, yeah, this is something that you can do. And it is outpatient. It's a two-day recovery. It's a 10-minute procedure. Doctors do it to themselves. Yeah, There's usually, probably a YouTube video out there. I'm kidding. Don't do that. They usually do. There probably is a YouTube video out there. They actually do. Usually, like mine, they scheduled them on Friday so you can recover on Friday and Saturday and be back at it Sunday and go back to work Monday. Yeah. Super easy. So if you are interested... This episode brought to you by Vasectomies. If you can, it seems like a nice thing to do. And I appreciate everyone... It's a responsible thing to do. Yes. In the news package Especially saying... Especially if you live in Texas or Louisiana or Arkansas or Missouri... Kentucky, Idaho, Utah, all of these draconian, tyrannical states, do your partner a fucking favor if you don't want kids. And listen, even if you don't live in those states, if Republicans get control during the election, we're going to be seeing a national ban on abortion. So you may think, oh, I live in a blue state. I'm safe here. Everything's so great for me. Don't count on that. I mean, it's already being bandied about by certain dick faces. Yeah. <laughs> On the floor of the House, they're already talking about a federal ban. Yeah. The same people who said, well, you got to leave it up to the states. It's a state's issue. Right. The federal government has nothing to do with this. Now say, oh, yeah, the federal government does have something to do with it, and we want to ban it federally. So principled. Fucking pieces of shit. So, Jesse D's taking care of biz. Thank you, Jesse D. You guys are welcome. Good job. <laughs> well, we're going to leave you there. We love you guys. <laughs> Uh, 657-464-7609. One more time, less muddled and slower. 657-464-7609. Email those voice memos from your smartphone or regular emails to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We love you guys. We appreciate you. If you appreciate us, we provide you some value on a twice-weekly basis. Please consider becoming a patron on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash idoubtitpodcast and help support and produce the show that way we will see you next time we love you guys so much for Brittany page i'm jesse dollamore with my gravelly voice and this has been i doubt it